I know. I am wifeless this morning, kidless this morning. They're still in California, and they'll be back uh, at the first first weekend in August. Some of you, most of you know, uh, Lisa's father passed away June 17th, and so down in Northern California, and just be, being there to help get things in order uh, as much as possible. Lisa's mom is has different has had different uh, health things over the years, and it's just made things you know challenging to um, just because she needs a lot of a lot of help. So we're down there doing that, and uh, thank you for praying for us. Thank you for your support. Thank you for we we left town June 17th in this whirlwind because her father passed away earlier that day. We got the news, ran out the door. So I came home uh, yesterday and somebody had changed our house around completely. There had been some gals who had come in, cleaned our house. I'm sure we had a ton of moldy food in the, in the uh, refrigerator and, and so there's like nothing in there now. And, and, uh, but thank you to the ladies. You, guys, you gals know who you are, but thank you so much for uh, your amazing expression and demonstration of love, community, family. Uh, I, you know, I think back to Ember when you went through what you went through with your knee and, and all that and just everybody rallying around and different ones who have experienced the losses and the challenges that they have. And, you know, we ask the question, I don't know how people, how do people do it without community and family? They don't. They don't. They, they, they get by uh, barely, and, but that's why we have the family of God. And uh, I, I just can't tell you how grateful we are. I was taking pictures of the house and sending them to Lee, texting them to Lee. I'm like, look at this. It's amazing. Because it was a disaster zone when we, when we left. Anyway, so Lisa says to be sure to send you big loves from her. So everybody just receive a big, big hug uh, from her. She misses you very, very much. It was quite a tearful departure uh, yesterday. And uh, so I'm here for nine days. And so I'm just hanging out with people and accepting dinner offers and, you know, <laughs> some of the basics like that. Todd already invited me for dinner, so that was great. So tomorrow night's taken, but the rest of the time you <laughs> I'm totally teasing. Oh, it's really good to see you. Really good to see you. Uh, Jesus, this is, this is your word, and we, we want to handle it uh, with such honor. And the price tag of the men and women's lives that you wrote these scriptures on and through is amazing. In a sense, these different ones, they they took one for the team because you showed them how to do that. And so we, we just... We give you immense glory and, and praise and... Uh, just say thank you for your word. It's life to us. And uh, we look forward to receiving what you have to give us this morning. In Jesus' name. 
Well, we are, we're right up here in chapter 9 of the Gospel of Luke and uh, just been super excited. We, uh, Don was in Romans 12 last week and talking about being attractive and uh, pulling a page from, from a few years back here and I, I heard that was wonderful. I'm looking forward to, to listening to that. Come on, you guys, you can... Praise God, this is not a church that is built upon the personality of one person. Come on, this is built, this is a church, this is a team, this is a family and a community together. And uh, we wouldn't want it any other way. Up to this point in our study of Luke, uh, Jesus has been doing a lot of teaching. He's been doing a lot of demonstrating. Uh, dads, older brothers, different ones, uncles, you, you, you know, you're familiar with that. Hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, the, the young kid, your son or whoever, he wants to get in. You, you say, Hey, just, you know, come on, let's do this together. And he wants to jump in. Hold on a second. Wait, let me show you. Let me show you. And he demonstrates for, we demonstrate for them what to do, how to do it. And then they jump in and, and give it their best shot. And so he's handpicked these 12 guys. They're, they're on this journey to change the world. And Jesus is doing right now a lot of, okay, I'll do this. You guys watch and learn. And eventually you're going to get your shot to get in the game. And uh, they're not quite sure what's going on. I, I love trying to put myself in the shoes of the disciples. Because it's really easy to do the Sunday school, you know, you just hear the story and you're like, that was cool. But we don't really factor in the things that Jesus is actually calling these guys to do. The risk that he's calling them to take. So, God of heaven, Father, has invaded earth through his son Jesus. And remember in chapter 4? He goes into the temple, he opens up a scroll. It was what chapter that we know in the Old Testament? Isaiah 61, and he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me and he has anointed me to what? Yeah, to preach good news to the poor in spirit. Because he says in chapter six, the only way you can get into this kingdom, this kingdom of heaven that's come to earth, the only way to get in there is to be poor in spirit, to be desperate, to be like a spiritual beggar, um, understanding your incredible need for God. You, you, can't even, you can't even go on to the other ones, you know, as he goes through the constitution kind of of the kingdom of God there in chapter 6. What we know is in Matthew 5 is the Beatitudes or the Sermon on the Mount. So he says, I've, the Holy Spirit, the purpose of the Holy Spirit being on me and in me is to preach this good news, to proclaim spiritual freedom to captives, the healing of the spiritually blind. So if that's why... He anointed, the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus, the God-man. Why has Holy Spirit come upon us? Same deal. Same deal. Jesus tells these guys he's going to teach them how to fish for people. So Peter, James, John, these guys are, you know, out there with their dads. They're working hard. They're making a living. And he comes and he says, I want you guys to come follow me. And we're just going, yeah, that's a cool story. You're working at IBM, at uh, Microsoft, Amazon, wherever you're working. And Jesus says, comes, and he says, I want you to come follow me. I want you to leave what you're doing here. 
Bill Gates can find somebody else. I want you to leave what you're doing. I want you to come follow me. I'm so glad we get to read about these stories rather than him coming in the time that we're living right now. Because I, I think that I would probably, you know, I've thought about this, but I think I'd probably be one of those guys who missed him. I don't know. Maybe not. But who couldn't see him for, I mean, even his guys that are right with him don't get it. Remember the storms and all this kind of stuff and Jesus falls asleep and, and they're freaking out. They don't know who's in the boat. They don't know who they're dealing with. So he's, he's teaching them how to fish with people and he's, you know, are you, are you guys watching this? Todd, are you watching what I'm doing? Because it's, you're going to be up to bat here in just a little bit. Justin, it's, it's almost your turn. Get ready. Jesus is going to show them how to heal the diseased and the dying. He's going to show them, he's going to demonstrate for them how to build relationships with outcasts and ostracized people, people that society and culture don't accept. Jesus is going to make friends with them. He's turning this whole thing upside down. How to forgive, how to love your enemies. Really? How many are excited about that one? You're just like, love my enemies. Mm. Much easier said than done. So today's exam day. Yeah, every day, every day, please pull out a number two pencil, okay? What do you truly believe? What do you really believe? What do you really believe about this gathering here? What is this all about? What's the point? How much time and training is needed? Donna came up to me before the service started and she said that Bruce, her husband, is uh, probably has already summited Mount Rainier this morning. I've summited with Bruce and my dad and six guys, five guys, Dan and different ones back in 95, I think it was, August of 95. There was a lot of training that went into that. But at some point, it was time to climb the mountain. So we climbed littler hills. Tiger Mountain, you know, Mount Si, different ones like that. Get up early in the morning and head out there and we'd put on packs and we'd try and simulate what was going to happen. Dry runs, right? That was brutal. I can't believe Bruce is still doing it. <laughs> I have no desire to climb that mountain again. Oh. But it, eventually it was time to climb the mountain when... When you start up a, a new business or an organization, it's, it's usually the dream of like one or two people. But what is required for that business or that organization to sustain long term? What's necessary? <laughs> lots and lots of money. Well, what's that? Buy-in. Yeah, you got to have other people. In order for it to sustain long-term. Because even if you've got money, those one or two people, they're not going to be around forever. They're going to go somewhere. 
they're going to pass on, they're going to retire, they're going to do whatever. So if you don't have anybody to carry the vision, I was talking with uh, Brian Evans and uh, Brian Evans, you know, he, he owns a number of different businesses, financial investment stuff and tax, whatever. And he's telling me about the vision that he has. And part of it is to, to uh, assume responsibility for businesses of these men who started these companies, but they have no one to pass it to. So they're in their, you know, 50s, 60s, they're getting ready to retire and there's no one in sight in terms of a, you know, somebody who, who cares and takes ownership and responsibility the way that that person did, does. There's a couple things involved there. They didn't take the time to pour their heart into someone. And so now it comes to the point of passing the baton and nobody's there. The church is in very much very similar situation. You have pastors who, you know, they're, you know, they're doing their thing. They're, they're pastoring the church, they're caring, and they find themselves getting into their fifties and sixties. And then all of a sudden, where's their successor? Where's the son that they can pass to? Where are the partners that are there who, who really carry that same heart, have the same kingdom values that they do? Fathers and mothers, we run into this all the time too. Who am I going to pass an inheritance onto? Is it just automatic? Questions for another time. Without succession, there is no long-term success. Jesus is searching for partners in the restoration business. He's looking for partners. Say partners. Partners. Yeah, he's looking for partners. He's because he's in the redemption line of work. He's um, it's this grace organization. That is filled with this special kind of love that came from heaven with Jesus called agape. It's not the stuff, not the generic stuff you find here on earth. Let's get into the text here. Chapter nine, verse one. One day Jesus called together his 12 apostles. This is the first time they refer to them as apostles. And gave them power and authority to cast out demons and to heal all diseases. Why are they apostles? What does apostle mean? Missionary, sent one, messenger. Okay, so he's about to send them out. So now their identity shifts. Their job description is about to change. They're going from a disciplined learner to now being an apostle, one who's sent out to go reach, touch, love, forgive, demonstrate, be an ambassador of this new kingdom that's come from heaven. So he gives them power and authority. Cast out all demons and heal all diseases. Then he sent them out to tell everyone about the coming of the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Don't even take along a walking stick, he instructed them, nor a traveler's bag, food, money, nothing. Not even an extra coat. When you enter villages, be a guest in only one home. If the people of the village won't receive your message, when you enter it, shake its dust from your feet as you leave. It's a sign that you've abandoned the village, excuse me, to its fate. So they began their circuit of the villages, preaching the good news and healing the sick. What's interesting here is that they're about to do to their own people, the Jews, 
Not all of them are Jews. But to the Jews, what the Jews have done to the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people. So a priest or a Jew would go into an area and they would talk to the Gentiles uh, about, you know, their Jewish traditions and all that kind of stuff. And if they didn't receive them, then they kicked the dust off their feet as if turning them over to, you know, the judgment of God. They're about to do this. They're about to turn the table on these, these people whom obviously God loves. Sometimes in the context of the church, when we say church, I'll refer to just the Sunday morning gathering, but as we have talked about since this inception of this church, that that's, that's a very small part of who we are, and it's actually not our proper and full identity. But oftentimes the church resembles, instead of partners with God, we resemble more supporters or observers. Okay, as the quote-unquote pastor of this church, I get this all the time. Hey, you know, go get them. And there's all kinds of encouragement and all that kind of stuff. It's like, hey, we're here for you. Or we won't be there this weekend to support you. <laughs> as if this is like a one-man gig, you know, type of thing. And I understand what people are saying, but it still reflects a certain mindset, doesn't it? So we can tend to be in the church more supporters or observers rather than seeing ourselves the way Jesus sees us or what he's calling us to, which is partners in the family business. If we could just get the one thing that we don't go to church, but we are the church. Oh, my goodness. Would that change things? Somebody mentioned, I think it was Melissa said buy in. That's somebody who buys in, somebody who really, that's like, I own this thing. This is mine. I'm not just a supporter. I'm not just, you know, paying my taxes or, or whatever it is. You know, when World Cup today, World Cup championship today, right? I wish the Americans were in this, but I'll have to go with my heritage, ethnic heritage, the Germans. But, um, you know, it's like you, when, when your country is in this game. And when the U.S. was playing, how many watch the World Cup or even give a rip about the World Cup? I love World Cup. My kids can't stand it when I'm sitting there. And I, I just go, I DVR them. And then I go fast forward super fast until I see ticker a score go. And then I reverse and go back. <laughs> Unless it's the U.S., then I watch the whole game. We won't be doing that today, by the way. What in the world is I even saying? <laughs> What's that? We got Argentina? Anybody? Brazil's out, so... Anybody, anybody going for Argentina? Well done. Messi. Okay. Could get messy if he lights it up. I have no idea what I was, where I was going with that, so I'm going to go on. Yeah, I know. German doesn't help trigger any memories, though. Any thoughts? Uh. Yeah. Moving on. Here we go. <laughs> Jesus is about to do something that's unprecedented from a divine standpoint. 
from a Christian worldview, we understand that there are no gods, right? All gods compared to Jehovah are little g-gods. So they don't actually exist. They're things that man has created. And then we create, we carve a little symbol and stuff in ancient times. We just do it a little more sophisticated in our modern world. Takes on the shape of a television or, or whatever. We have our gods, our phones, where we worship at this altar constantly. It gets our focus and attention and worship and affection and all that kind of good stuff. But we won't go there, will we? So, he's about to share his power and his authority with human beings. If we understand the spiritual realm where we have the spirit, the, the, the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light, and he's about to turn these guys loose with power and authority that's never been done. Now, God has certainly done things on different ones' behalf throughout history. We read in the Old Testament and, and all that. But this is a whole other level of power and authority that he's about to give them. Now, we need to understand something that this is unique to the apostles. It doesn't mean he doesn't do this for people, but scholars, most scholars agree that this was something unique to establish and validate what God was doing to establish the church in the apostles. It's not that it's completely contrary to what would happen after Acts 2 when the Holy Spirit comes and the church is filled with the Spirit and, and all that. But um, it is something that is unique to them. In other words, he doesn't send us out into our neighborhoods and places and we just live as, as homeless people and, and wherever. So we're not necessarily using the same methodology. However, we are those who are disciplined learners, who are disciples and followers of Jesus, as well as we are ones who are sent out to reach, touch, to love, etc., etc. You guys tracking with me? But... The point is here is he's calling us to a normal faith. A lot of times we like to say, well, this was some like crazy faith that God was calling them to. No, this was the normal stuff because this is the way Jesus lived. And he calls us to live in the same way. Strip things back to nothing. Why? Because the, the success of this thing was not dependent upon those men. The success of this mission was dependent upon Jesus the success of the calling that he has on our lives is not dependent upon you and me. Praise God. We're not the ones responsible to have to make something happen. God calls us to follow him wherever he goes and we get to be a part of what he's doing. Power sharing. Power sharing is is a really risky thing. I remember when my dad first gave, began to, to share some power and authority with me, 12 years old, soccer game, the match, the championship game at Redmond Stadium uh, for this select soccer team that I played on, and, and, uh, but it was on a Sunday morning. Some of you have heard the story before, and Bob Mumford was preaching that morning at Northgate, right over there in that building, in that gymnasium. He said, Eric, in so many words, I'm going to power share with you this morning. Let's see what you got. He said, I'm going to support you 100% no matter what decision you make. But the man of God is coming. You may never be able to hear him again. Um, 
whatever. And uh, he says, but it's your call. You can go to the game and support you 100% or you can, uh, you can go to church. Man, that was a great game, but I wasn't there. Championship trophy was sitting on my front porch when I got home. We had won. Did I miss out? I don't know. I don't even remember what Bob Mumford preached on. But that point of power sharing right there and responsibility and and ownership. And again, I I completely believe my dad. I believe that had I chosen to go play, he would have completely supported me 100%. And not even flinched because that's just who he is. But looking back on that, I'm not playing soccer anymore. And it's not just because I'm preaching that somehow that shaped, you know, who I am today. But it formed something in me for sure. World leaders, dictators that we see around the world, the last thing they want to do, all their product, mostly their main focus is to protect and hold on to as much power as possible. Jesus came and did just the opposite. He actually shares with us his power, his authority, and gives us a calling to go and do just what he has done to partner with him. Ungodly leadership tries to protect the power they have acquired through fear, force, and control. Look at ISIS right now storming across Iraq. This is very much alive in the church today as well. What are we building? What do we take ownership for? You ever ask yourself, and we've done this a number of times, why are you here? What are you building? What are you part of building here in this place? And what are you called to build as an extension of this place outside of here? What do you really own? Like we said, it's exam day. It's evaluation day. Are we building, are we trying to grow a church? Or are we building God's kingdom? What was the Jesus directive in Matthew 28? I like this. A couple of things from this guy, Regis Nickel. He's a contributor to the Chuck Colson Center. He says this, There are more churches in the U.S. than convenience stores, gas stations, and motels combined. Guarantee you. The problem in America is not that we have too few churches or that we have too few Christians. Our problem is that we have too few disciples. The vast majority of Americans identify themselves as Christians. Only 3%, according to the Barna Group, have, quote, surrendered control of their life to God, submitted to His will for their life, and devoted themselves to loving and serving God and other people. So, how does the church generally, 
measure success? Talk to me a little bit. Numbers? That came out of a few people's mouth right away. So we are a massive failure. Compared to other church where other churches gather together, this would be considered a massive failure. So would any house group. What else? How else do we measure success? What's that? Style? Programs? The building? Salvations? How about the budget? The bottom line? You knocking on the music department, Glenn? We were going to leave that part out of it, okay? Now, are any of those things in and of themselves wrong? If this room was filled to capacity and we were packed all the way, would we be going, I wish we were smaller? No, if more people, the issue is Matthew 28. Are we gathering and producing and creating more, making disciples? And are we going and creating disciples? Our cultures, is our culture being changed, affected, influenced as a result? Because it says in Matthew 28 that we're to go and disciple nations. So that includes cities, governments, the medical field. Where are we called? Where has he put us? What kind of ownership do we take? These pauses are intentional. I I want these things to sink in. I I don't... Remember, we talked about this in July. The last thing we want to do is preach a lot of messages and apply nothing. The enemy, our arch nemesis, could care less how many sermons you hear. The only one he's worried about is the one you put into practice in your life. The only one he's worried about is the one that you apply. The only truth he's concerned about is the one that you actually live out in your marriages, in your families, in your parenting, in your singlehood. That's it. So if we don't take time to underscore the importance of these things that disciples and apostles, okay, if you will, that, just, that job description of being sent out and going and, and activating, taking the Word of God and saying, okay, Jesus, what did you do? I could care less what did what would Jesus do. I just want to know what he did. What did he do? That's the most important thing. We can talk all day about what would he do. What did he do? And then I get to go out and do that. That's what he's saying here, right in these first couple of verses. Revival. 
Revival is a very, very important part of the life of the church. But you cannot, one cannot announce or put on a billboard and say, hey, revival tonight at 7 p.m., be there. Anybody ever taken a CPR class before? Okay. You ever seen a real human being, not the dummy that they use, but a real human being after they've, someone has administered CPR to them? Somebody's not breathing, doesn't have a pulse. CPR messes that person up when you try and revive them. Jeremiah's back here. He's like, I've seen a few codes. Oftentimes the results are broken ribs because you're compressing, you know, some one to two inches You're supposed to get right up on top of it and boom, boom, 30 compressions like per minute or something like that or 100 per minute after 32 blows, you know. And I mean, this is is not fun stuff. Can puncture um, and damage internal organs. And we're like, revival. Yes. Revival can be painful to try and resuscitate someone so that they're now alive to God. That's just not, that's not just a, good, a feel-good Jesus time. That may be refreshing, something like that, but revival's a different breed. We're talking about contrition of heart, repentance, brokenness. I understand and have a conviction of sin that I am wrong. And then I need to come into alignment with a holy God. Where's grace and all that? Oh, it's right in there. The grace to respond, to humble ourselves before the Lord. Verse ten: When the apostles, when the apostles returned, they told Jesus everything they had done. Bummer. Here they are. They coming back. Jesus, look what we did. He's going. Oh. You guys still don't get it. He sends them out, but he's still going to use them. He's still going to use them. What happens when they're facing unbelief, when they're struggling with faith and all the rest? He teaches them again. He performs another miracle to help them. But they're still focused on what they're doing rather than what he's doing through them. Then he slipped quietly away with him toward the town of Bethsaida. Bethsaida, this is really cool. It, it, uh, it means house of provision. They've been out ministering. They've been in this season. I don't know how long they were gone. Where he sent them out. They come back. They're telling them all they've been doing. And anybody, you know, you know when you pour yourself out. I mean, it, it takes its toll on you. And what does Jesus do? He leads them into greater activity, right? No, he calls them into rest. This house of provision. He gets away. He gets them away with himself, who is the word. The word of God is refreshing, filling. I'm pretty convinced, because I know me, that as and I'm gonna lump you guys all into this too, but as Westerners and as Americans, we really don't know how to rest. What do we do when we we come home exhausted, turn the television on? When it's our soul that needs to rest and our spirit needs to be refreshed, 
And so we never let our souls really rest. And so we're struggling, we're seeking for peace, even though we're Jesus' people and all that kind of stuff. We find ourselves exhausted a lot, mentally exhausted. Because actually those things, they take from us, they don't give to us. They don't, they don't fill us back up and recharge and rejuvenate our faith. It requires, just as Jesus knew, and He led them into it, to be able to rest His way. The recreation, the different things that we're doing, entertainment, it's not, it's not wrong. But is it Jesus who's leading us into it so that Jesus' leading, His, His leading of us will actually result in a refreshing so that we can go and be who we need to be to people. Because it says here in verse 11, but the crowds found out where he was going and they followed him. And he welcomed them. They're going, whoa, 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 whoa. We just got back from the crowds. We could use a little more R&R. And he's, and he's saying, no, come on in. And he welcomed them. Jesus demonstrates this being interruptible, being flexible, teaching them about the kingdom of God and curing those who were ill. Late in the afternoon, the 12 disciples came to him and said, send the crowds away to the nearby villages and farms. This is the disciples now. They're telling Jesus what to do. Send these guys away. There was nothing for them to eat, but Jesus says, to them what? Jesus responds to the disciples. They're like, hey, Jesus, go tell these guys 10,000 people, 5,000 men, so that doesn't include children and, and women. 10,000 people. And he says, go tell them to go get some burgers in town. What does he say to them? You feed them. You feed them. I'm going to conclude with this. See, the disciples recognized the need. But what they didn't recognize was the source of provision. Oftentimes we can be very quick, right, to point out what's wrong or what's going on here, different things like that. But as fathers, are we leading our families, for instance, into Jesus, the source? These people need something more than just physical, okay? more than physical provision in terms of meeting their hunger, but they need a spiritual a spiritual feeding. I love that Jesus met both of them. He isn't saying it's just the spiritual that's important. He's saying phys- people's physical needs are as well. But recognizing, I love this as he goes on, he says, tell them to sit down on the ground in groups of about 50 each. Jesus replied, so the people all sat down. Jesus took the five loaves and two fish, looking up toward heaven and asking God's blessing on the food. Breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread and fish to who? To the disciples to give to the people. We look at the little things that we have. Glenn, you reminded me of this, of when Graham White was here. 
Graham White challenged us. He said, what do we have that God can use? How does God want to use it? Are we willing to allow God to use us? Are we willing to take our life and put it in God's hands and let Him break for other people? What do we have to give? These small, you know, these fish and loaves in the hands of the disciples didn't do a whole lot. But when we give the little things that we have, and we give them to the Lord, we commit them to Him, we say, God, I don't know how You can use me with this situation, just as Glenn was sharing. I, I, I don't know who this guy is, but, you know, take my words. Take my ethnicity. Use it however you will. Would you stand up and pray with us? Pray for us. I love some sort of a physical demonstration or just action to help kind of get us out of where we are. Can we just lift our hands? Jesus, you're, you're looking for partners. Lord, we know every day is exam day and test day and, and all that, but Lord, challenge us. Thank you for helping us not to just go on and hear nice things, but that we would be those who take what you've given us and apply it. If it's just one thing, Learning how to rest. Learning how to follow you into rest. What are you calling, how are you telling us to give rest to our soul rather than all the stimulation around us? You're calling us to take one thing that we've seen you do and and put that into practice. Lord, we want to be effective against all that the kingdom of darkness has to bring. You used those men. You sent them out. Use us. Send us to whomever you want. Let us be distributors of the bread of life. Let us see your church and your kingdom in perspective. That we're here not, not here trying to grow something, but you get to build something of your kingdom through our lives. May we be true disciples. Lord, we put our lives in your hand. Do with us as you will. Take the little bit that we have. Break us, multiply us, and give us out. Amen. 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 Stay cool in the heat wave. Oh, my word. I love the heat, by the way. I don't know about you guys. Have a wonderful afternoon. We'll see you guys this next Sunday.